just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Speaking of Influence, the podcast for speakers and professionals or anyone who wants to present with impact. Hosted by presentation persuasion coach John Ball. Remember to like and subscribe. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, there couldn't be an easier way to get started than getting started with Buzzsprout. They have all the tools and resources you need for starting a podcast and getting out to all the major podcasting networks. Check out the link in the show notes and get your podcast started today. Welcome to the show. Uh, Welcome back. If you're returning, great to have you coming back. And today I'm very happy to be having a conversation with a man who is a founder of a company called Essentialized Workplace Wellbeing. He's a coach, he's a speaker. He's had quite an amazing journey on his journey to becoming a speaker and a coach and all these things. And he's going to tell us all about that. Please welcome to the show, Lee Chambers. Lee, hello. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on with you today, John. Thanks for having me. Really nice to be speaking with you. And when we had a conversation a little while back planning the show, I was really fascinated by your story. It really is quite a journey. And uh, you were telling me that the thing that happened to you that is every speaker's nightmare. So tell us a little bit about how that all started off for you. Yeah, so I was, uh, I was always that curious and disruptive child. But one thing that was kind of highlighted was that I was always one who didn't mind being in front of an audience. So I ended up doing some singing in the school play, as you do, and being one of the people who, generally speaking, they put they push to the front because I didn't seem to have that fear of eyes on me. And ultimately, that then kind of cascaded onto I would be the one who like would present like our college projects and that kind of thing. Um, and it, my A-level history teacher actually said, you articulate yourself like a US president. So what that actually did is it gave me a almost a, a, a slight conditioning that it was something I was good at naturally and therefore didn't need to work at it as hard as some of the things that I struggle at more. Um, and... That kind of carried on in my first year of university. I continued to present and be, you know, be the speaker at society events and just found it natural in a lot of ways. But it was strange because I'm quite introverted by nature and people would find it strange that I would get up on stage but then actually be quite the quieter, more methodical listener in a conversation. Um, but I got into the second year of university and I started to have some struggles in terms of my own kind of journey, trying to express who I was as a young man, make that transition to adulthood. Um, and during that period, when I was having a bit of a difficult time at work, a bit of a difficult time at university, I was presenting a business plan and project to 300 other students in the business faculty at Manchester. And that's quite a... I suppose there was a lot of eyes on me in that situation, in the biggest lecture theatre in the building, with the lights blurring down on you. And I was presenting a plan with my partner and all of a sudden I get halfway through my section and everything just goes. I just go blank. I freeze, I choke, and I just look at, I look back at the slides behind me and just nothing, nothing comes out. And I'm lucky enough that my partner <laughs> is able to actually run with it and finish my section. But at that point, suddenly this you know this natural speaker I felt half the size and suddenly I started to tell myself in my own mind maybe I'm not maybe I'm not a speaker maybe I should be in the background 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's a horrific experience. One that I think nearly every speaker dreads. It's like those nightmares that we tend to have uh, uh, from time to time of being stood in front of maybe a, a classroom or a classroom at school or a group of people within our underwear or completely naked, and it's just like <laughs> absolutely horrifying. But then when you get when you get into that kind of position the more you try and get yourself out of it, the deeper you, you tend to dig yourself. Yeah. And it just becomes impossible to speak because your your brain has gone into, oh, it's that fight or flight or fright mm. kind of stage. It's like um, deer in the headlight sort of thing. What can you do? Because the harder you try and get it back, it's like trying to remember a name that's on the tip of your tongue, right? It's <laughs> yeah. like the, harder, the harder you think about it, the, the worse it gets, better just to kind of let it go. But w- what ended up happening from that experience for you? Um, so in, in a lot of ways, it was during a really challenging time in my life. And what I actually started to do is it became the stimulus to start to avoid things. So I had to work through my degree. I'm not from the most advantaged background. So I had to fund my living, my expenses. Um, And just having this difficult time where I wasn't looking after myself the way that I should have been at university. I wasn't putting the effort into my studies that I should have been. And ultimately, I started to avoid work. I started to avoid university. I started to avoid looking after myself and, you know, socializing. Uh, But also I started to tell myself in my own mind, there's a reason why that went wrong. It's because it's not you. Mm. Don't, don't step, don't step up again. You'll, you, that'll happen again. And you kind of repeat that mental movie. I was having bad days and I just re-envisioned that moment when it just went. And it was like I literally dropped a Ming vase and it just I just watched it smash and could do nothing. And that's literally how it felt. The problem is going through that, I almost started to believe my own self-talk that I wasn't and someone who shouldn't use the voice to stand forward. I should probably be the quiet one. And interestingly, I work my way through those mental health challenges because it ended up with my parents coming home and taking me home because I'd locked myself in my university dorm for two weeks and not gone out and attended or spoke to anybody. Um, And in that process, I managed to understand that I had to approach challenges. Um, So I managed to get back to university and graduate. And I started to approach a lot of things in my life. But speaking, I found it really difficult to alchemize that approach because it's not something that you need to put yourself forward and do unless your job demands it. So I was still in a bit of an avoidance state with it, even when I started on my graduate scheme and even when I started my entrepreneurial journey. And what kind of happened is the type of business that I have, I didn't need to get up on stage. I needed to build relationships with suppliers. I needed to, you know, get a team together. I needed to lead a team, but I didn't need to go and speak very often in front of people in that way and you know I had a remote team for a significant part of my entrepreneurial journey and I did work in a number of different industries but I was never the first one to put my hand up to go forward and I told myself that kind of story that speaking wasn't for me I wasn't a people person I wasn't a performer told myself that for over 10 years before finally realizing and going through some significant health challenges that forced me to actually really look back and think I had something in childhood and I was complacent and ultimately my complacency meant that when I got on that stage I wasn't prepared I hadn't put in the groundwork to ensure that I was able to execute effectively and I hadn't failed that same articulate like a president college student was still that was just me but uh, yeah I mean I often talk in coaching and, and in, in my own presentation work about about growth mindset and I'm very mm-hmm. I absolutely love um, Carol Dweck's book on growth mindset and um, and making that clear distinction between a fixed mindset where you believe that you're limited and um and the growth mindset where mistakes really are just part of your path to to growth and development and mastery and, and that most of us I don't know I've certainly been guilty at many points in my own life of having that mm-hmm. fixed mindset uh, but 
sometimes I talk about the curse of talent. It's like it's not always the best thing to be naturally talented or gifted at something because you can very easily fall into that complacency of thinking that you don't have to work too hard. Like me at school, that was that was like the story of my school career. Like I didn't have to work that hard at school. So I coasted through and I and I coasted through large portions of my life because yeah. because I was able to do that. And and you know I, I can look back now and think, what if I had really applied myself or really had some sort of idea of thinking, you know, I can actually really do much, much better here. Things could have looked very different. Now, although would or could have should have isn't going to change the past, but mm-hmm. I have at least learn from that experience that uh, and, and took me a long time in my life to learn that um that having natural ability does not always serve as well and i think that was a real wake up in reading carol dweck's book of just thinking yeah i can see so many points in my life where <laughs> i i've just limited myself and uh, and not actually seeing that you know even though i can do do a lot of things very easily it uh, doesn't mean i actually do them well and yeah. just, I was just doing things to a level of acceptability or to scraping by or getting by. Uh, and I think many, many people find, find themselves in that position in life of doing just enough, doing the bare minimum because they can, of course, they can get away with it. But also that thing of um, people like maybe who don't have such natural talent often will end up overtaking the talented people because they have to work that much harder at it. Yeah, definitely. And that that's something, again, from my journey. I was always that child who didn't put much effort in, got the grades that I needed. I only actually hit that little barrier of finding that the minimum viable effort didn't get me exactly what I wanted around the time when I started to struggle. And that kind of amplified in a lot of areas of my life. And only after that did I start to understand that because everything had always been easy and people continually said you're clever you can speak well that fixed mindset orientation just means that you then believe it and you have no space to fail into and then you can't really improve what it also does if you kind of look at Angela Duckworth's work um, around grit what happens is when you've got talent you're unlikely to you know you have to put the effort in and so many people who are talented just roll on that talent they don't put the effort in and therefore they don't really forge a skill. But it's not just having the skill that gets you to where you need to be because you need to put effort in twice. You need to put effort into the skill to create achievement. And then if you can achieve and have a growth mindset around that achievement, then that's where the elite performers sit because they've amplified and put effort in twice because talent doesn't take you very far mm. if it's latent if effort isn't applied to the talent to create the skill, to chisel the skill, to achieve something with a skill and have the mindset to continue, continually improving it. And considering that ultimately talent is only, you know, it's only the seed. The the flip side of the, the curse of talent is the people who either don't have natural talent or believe, I just believe they don't have natural talent. Um, because there is a tendency for people to think, especially with something like presenting and public speaking, that you have to have that, that you have to be someone who's easy and comfortable getting up on the stage. And and for people like yourself and myself who are naturally more introverted, there is a perhaps a bigger challenge there than somebody who is very naturally extroverted who can't wait to get on the stage and and have everybody hear them and uh, <laughs> clap them afterwards. Whereas those are a bit maybe a bit more overthinking it and a bit worried about it and they're thinking, well, everyone's going to see me and everyone's going to hear me and and this whole inner conversation going on in their heads. That this is an, another thing that or people who think they don't have anything to say. I'm like everybody does. But we we are realistically, I think, conditioned to um, to allow ourselves to have these thoughts of that we don't have stuff to say, that we should just keep quiet and let other people do the the heavy lifting and the talking and the getting up on stage and doing those things. And we just we can sink into the background, hide in the wallpaper, and that's a good place to be. I think the, there's a lot in sort of society, particularly, that is structured to really allow that and to encourage it for for most people i don't see too much encouragement particularly in the uk for people to step above 
um, the crowd or to be seen. Uh, the general encouragement seems to be more for conformity and for blending in with the crowd. Mm. And people who do step up are far more likely to to have the metaphorically have their heads locked off. Yeah, and that's, that's, I mean, there is that kind of element of almost humble, don't put yourself forward and have a voice. But the truth is, in my experience and in my work, the quietest, most introverted people have the most powerful voice. And they're the ones who sit in the meetings when the people who speak a lot continue to speak and they listen and they process and they look at the bigger picture because sometimes in a position where people speak, you don't really get the space to process and listen in the same way. And it's quite often these people who appear to be the introverted quiet one that actually have incredibly insightful things to share and really have a voice that would be very beneficial to be amplified. And naturally it's that kind of societal conditioning that you need to be the bouncy presenter. In fact, presenting is for people who want to be on television. They want to put themselves forward. But if you put yourself forward, the trolls will come and get you. And there's always someone who's not going to like you. And that's the reality of life. You not, not, there is no conformity of liking. Even the most heroic people who did the most heroic things have people who think, well, they did heroic things to get some fame. They did heroic things for their own personal gain. They did heroic things because they're an awful person. Um, and truth be told, when we can kind of get past some of the psychological barriers that stop ourselves, because from a kind of physiological and psychological um, perspective, evolutionary, it was one of those things where you didn't want to go and stand in front of your tribe and say something that turned people away because all of a sudden you then had to hunt on your own because you'd, 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 you'd you know, ended up being chopped off by the tribe. And that kind of still sits with us today a little bit that we don't want to put ourselves forward if we don't feel that we'll pull the tribe with us because hunting on your own means you die. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's interesting that those kind of little psychological elements are still within us. But in this modern society, if you get up and say something, that has the crowd thinking, hmm, yeah, I'm not sure about that. You're not going to die. <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> well, probably not. I mean, there's, a, there's very little chance of that. Uh, it's interesting. I, I recently got to have a chat with uh, an, an amazing guy. He's a philosophy expert and author called uh, Donald Robertson. And uh, oh. for me, it was a really fascinating episode. He's uh, an expert in Stoic philosophy. Yeah. And, and we were talking about things like um, presentation skills in ancient Greece and ancient Rome, like, especially in, uh, for Marcus Aurelius, the great, yeah. um, great um, emperor of, of Rome, considered to be like a philosopher king, who was a very sort of thoughtful guy, very much uh, humble and kept himself grounded and very much lived in the realm of philosophy but also in in rhetoric and public speaking and oration uh, and uh, even somebody as admirable as that was not without his critics and not without um people who were very much against him and and his enemies um but also that there were people in even in that time who were more concerned with the artistry of speaking and looking good and sounding good and saying the right things that people enjoyed than people who were perhaps more concerned with the message and mm. uh, challenging people and, and saying something that meant something and maybe made people feel a little bit uncomfortable. And Marcus Aurelius was one of the people, a Stoic, who very much believed that speaking should be challenging people and shouldn't just be making people feel comfortable and feel good but yeah. it actually needs to create growth or create change and uh, in the, in that conversation that having was really interesting you know you think about all the people who have really created great change and development people who are often revered as heroes now uh, when have never been without their dissenters and even still not without their dissenters like you're never going to escape criticism um, but I think if you have, a, if you develop a strong enough reason for why you're doing what you're doing, you will weather that stuff. 
And oh, yeah. that's a big part of what this comes down to. And I often work with clients and I have a, have a reason why for doing this. Why do you want to do it? Um, because generally people want to help other people or have a message or want to see change and positive development. And that means you're going to get criticized by certain groups. And certainly because many people are resistant to change, many people are going to feel challenged by it, and people don't like feeling that uncomfortable. So it's inevitable that those people are going to resist and probably push back. And if they're in positions of being having their voice heard or being able to influence uh, in a greater way, they're going to try and do that against you as well. And it, so if you don't have a strong enough reason for doing what you're doing, you're going to fold at the, the first opportunity. I think this isn't worth it. Yeah, and I definitely think that. I mean, Marcus Aurelius's meditations, if you read that, you just feel like this guy is in a position of considerable power, a position of considerable power that corrupted and turned, uh, you know, turned men who were strong men, but it literally sent them crazy because running an empire is is incredibly difficult uh difficult task but he had the he had the space to really look at the world objectively to look at his own vulnerabilities and express those in his words and amazingly he did kind of look at that position of an orator to communicate a message that challenged and express authenticity in a world where you were so often crushed if you said what you thought and it didn't conform. And that's incredibly powerful. And um, when I kind of then think around to what, what you just said then around, around messaging and why, I think that if you stand on a stage and your why is like a little candle and the crowd starts blowing at you, they'll blow your candle out and you'll feel unauthentic you'll feel disconnected and you'll struggle to express your message. But if you're wise like a fire, when that crowd blows, they fuel your fire, your fire grows. And suddenly you become more expressed, more connected, more passionate and more authentic on stage. And that's what connects people. Mm. They don't really always want to know exactly what you're saying. Quite often they might have already heard it before, but they want to know why you're saying it. And if you're saying it with passion, with reasoning, with true fire inside of you, even the, when the dissenters come, they fuel your passion. And that's a really powerful place to be because the dissenters will come. They're always knocking at the door, questioning why, why this, why you? Because that's that's part of being human. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and for, uh, for rational, empathic, regular people those things are true and uh, i want to then ask you for for you what what is your why what's the why for for what why you do what you do yeah so my why is given the health challenges that i had so i lost the ability to walk and given some of the challenges and barriers that have been put in my place being a young entrepreneur from a disadvantaged background being diverse i've had some obstacles to climb over, to scale, to break through. And my why is to help other people who might follow a similar path to myself. They might struggle with their mental health, trying to express themselves as a young man. They might have a fixed mindset and not amplify that effort. They might find themselves in a place where they don't believe they can because they haven't seen people before them do so. And most importantly for me, my why is to show that even if your health fails significantly, you can still bounce back with resilience. You might not be able to get your physical capacity back, but you can grow as an individual through adversity and challenge because adversity doesn't discriminate. We're all facing significant challenges in our lives. There's a whole worldwide challenge that we're currently facing at the minute, but you can use that and see it as a challenge to grow into rather than a threat to avoid. And because I did that when I was younger, combined with my fixed mindset, I now go and obviously speak a lot in education, explaining and really kind of aligning my journey with why I do what I do now and threading that together to show that you also, the next generation coming out into an incredibly dynamic world where adversity might just be around the corner. You're probably not going to have that job for life career. You're probably going to have to learn a lot of different skills and be emotionally resilient and cognitively flexible for an ever-changing world. 
But if you can prepare yourself for that change and be willing to put the effort in where you need to, really understand the strengths, what you enjoy, where you can bring value in the world. And it's just about being purposeful with what you do because it's taken me 10 years to chisel that myself and find that for me. And I, I want to help other people who feel that way but struggle to express it, struggle to chisel it, struggle to find it, mm. get a bit quicker on that pathway so they can go out and make their impact in the world. Yeah, yeah. it took me a bit longer than 10 years myself. But, um, <laughs> but, but nonetheless, sometimes I wish the journey had been quicker, but then I know that many people go through their whole lives without finding these, finding these things and discovering these things. And so, so I feel very fortunate, really, that I've had the realisations that I've had and that I'm on the journey that I'm on, regardless of that I might have liked to have started it earlier. Um, it's interesting what you said about uh, the sort of the, the working world right now that people don't have job security anymore that you can't really expect to be in jobs for life and and a lot of people would see that as a as a real as a real negative like I know for for my parents and I'm like my my parents are in their in their seventies now their seventies and so they really were. Well, my, my dad really was working at a time when when you would expect to have had the, the job for life. And even he ended up, I think, in the um, in the 90s being being made redundant from a company he'd worked for for all his life and looking for new work. I worked for uh, British Airways for, for 12 years as cabin crew and, uh, you know, kind of felt that I could have, had I been able to stay there, I had to leave because I wanted to do other things. But uh, had I stayed there, I felt that that could have been a job for life. And yet now... Um, the majority of my friends who were still there have just recently been made redundant. I'm looking, thinking, if I hadn't made the moves that I'd made, I'd be in a similar position. And yet you see all that as being like, well, is it a good thing that people don't have um, job security for life anymore? Or is it a bad thing? It depends on your perspective. Are you going to look at it as an opportunity or are you going to look at it as a challenge and a threat? The same thing you're saying with, with COVID and everything right now is like, are you going to look at it as an opportunity to maybe work on improving our, our general health and immunity, to, to work on improving our business or perhaps moving to working from home or starting up your own business? Or are you just going to see it as a threat and the world's ending? And, you know, I, I know w which one I'd rather live in myself. <laughs> it, is, it is that choice we end up having to make on a almost daily basis sometimes. Are we, are we going to live in fear or are we going to live live strong live bravely yeah and i think we we need to embrace the reality that fu the future is uncertain and yet there's common threads that we can see obviously automation is gonna take certain processes of certain jobs machine learning more effectively than humans with yeah. less conflict less mistakes it's only logical that that's going to be implemented and we can run in fear from that or we can start to prevent that today and if you look at the work that you do, John, in terms of the public speaking. Public speaking is one of the four key areas of skills that are not going to be automated. Which Communication, ability to communicate effectively, authentically to a number of people. And that clear and ability to foster communication skills is something that is going increasingly valuable and increasingly rare. Yeah. And with that scarcity comes abundance opportunities for people to actually go out and start to cultivate the ability to speak publicly on a range of topics that they're incredibly passionate about. And the ability to do that is going to be, for a lot of people, the difference between being able to navigate and utilise their different skills in a changing world. Because portfolio careers you know, you're going to have to build a foundational level of different skills that can't be automated. That is going to be your future wage packet because that's going to be your value. What can you bring? What can you do? And companies are going to become much more pliable and suddenly looking to off balance sheet workers, freelancers, self-employed people, contractors of micro businesses to come in and do and bring their value. And speaking is going to be increasingly valuable. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting time because you're right that it's something that doesn't get talked about nearly enough and and i think uh, in the recent like us not like, still having their elections at the time we we're recording this but uh, in the primaries for the 
Democratic candidates in the US, there was only one candidate, Andrew Yang, who was talking about something like universal basic income as being something that's going to be necessary to be considering in, in the level of automation that we're going through now with AI and robotics that uh, that so many jobs already are being replaced and will continue to be replaced. Like if your job or your work can be replaced by an automation and an algorithm, then at some point it will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right that really the areas that we're working in terms of communication and speaking and um, entertainment, education to some degree, these are the areas where we're still going to require uh, the human touch they're going to require empathic connection people to do these things um andres oppenheimer in the book uh, the robots are coming talks about that <laughs> as uh, as being like and public speaking as being one of the areas that really is critical right now because it lies in uh, that area that sweet spot really of education and entertainment yeah. and where you're going to stay relevant in the business world like the areas that are still growing and, and are not going to decline uh, or have their jobs automated away from them are in education and entertainment and the areas that uh, sort of fall in between those two categories. And so there has, to me, never been a more important time to learn communication skills and, and improve your ability to speak and perform. And this year, particularly where everyone has been having to go into online meetings to do their work <laughs> or to work remotely and virtually, um, everybody has really had to step their game up a bit in terms of how they show up online or how they uh, we have to think about how we look. And the people who haven't really thought about that have ended up maybe getting a little bit embarrassed by that in their working situations. And again, you know, we talked about, I mentioned a bit before about Marcus Aurelius and sort of ancient Rome and ancient Greece, like speaking, public speaking, presentation work is just as important now in terms of leadership qualities as it ever was then. And, and I'm one of those people who rallies against it being called a soft skill. In no way is it a soft skill. It is a critical skill that, that people need to have. And I don't think it's optional anymore. So the people who, who want everybody can become better at it and the people who want to do that i think are going to be the people who are going to stand out and are going to be the the future leaders who have a growth mindset look for opportunity and um and have a willingness to grow and learn and and to put themselves out there all those things we've already been talking about they these are going to be the the real leaders that we're going to look to for the future yeah because i think from my perspective publicly speaking is is quite seen as quite a narrow band what you don't realize is that as a public speaker, you're not just communicating, you're fostering connection. You have to understand the psychology of yourself to be able to dig deep enough to be able to express it. And that builds self-awareness. Yeah. What you realize is it's not a soft skill. It's a skill that transfers across a wide range of other you know, tools, skills, and pieces of knowledge that we utilize in our everyday life. And it's one of those interesting things where a bit like breathing and a bit like walking, people honestly believe that just because you can speak, well, that's kind of it. And people take it for granted that they have a voice. And there's some people in the world where they can't go and take the stage. They will actually, you know, face highly challenging scenarios if they go and speak and articulate their voice so actually the fact that in the western world more often than not we can take a stage and express how we feel it's a gift it's a present it's something we should feel incredibly grateful for and it's not just something that you do speaking it's actually something that can change the world In good and bad ways, you know, I I often talk about tools of influence and persuasion and uh, public speaking is is in itself a great example of that is incredibly influential. Um, no, no matter really how it's done, for okay for people who may be really terrible at it and, uh, and and don't grow in that and become better at it, maybe that's not going to be the case. But for for people who are either very willing or comfortable to get up on a platform, you can influence in good ways or bad ways. It's a it's a tool that can be used uh, um, in either side. And my my hope is, and I certainly work with people on creating. Um, 
intelligent, compassionate, thought through, reasoned um, presentations, things that we put out into the world being just good quality, but kind and for the benefit of people. And yet there are certainly, uh, again, I talked about this a few times recently uh, in my podcast about people who are out there really being the voice of unreason, the voice of contrarianism, the, the voice of opposition shock jockeys are saying the most terrible things that they can they can think of to say to get attention to get eyes on them uh and it works and that that's one of the worst things about it it actually works yeah it gets people following them as well and uh, and there are so many different reasons why but um my no my big thing is like i'm very much for ethical influence and persuasion and, and and teaching those things and 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 I feel sad that we don't teach really ethics in uh, in schools so much it's not one of those things that's assumed that we have it and yet I think the way we see things expect the conversation really go here but I, the way we see things now in in society particularly I think it's very clear in the UK the divisions and in the US is the divisions there as well yeah. uh, but they exist in other areas too that so much of that is because of not being taught these sort of things about ethics and um, maybe even philosophy to some degree and compassion mm. and the things that are, are expected. And actually, in many parts of many parts of culture, they they are not there. Like the only place where people may be getting those in some places might be from stuff on the telly. Yeah, and it's it's really challenging because if you think about the you know the psychological hooks in human beings if you go and public speak and utilize hooks like disgust you can get a group of people to hate another group of people even though cognitively they know that these people shouldn't be hated against and unfortunately public speaking can be used unethically in fact if we look at the way the world is at the minute the way people have their psychological hooks exploited, have their behavior changed, be funneled into places where they can, you know, confirm their bias with other people who also believe the same way. There's there's a lot of behavior modification out there that's very subtle, but increasingly toxic. And it does need the voices of people trying to influence ethically to almost fight against that. And, Mm. In a world where as wealth continues to spiral and really in terms of uh, wealthy entities, if you look at the 200 wealthiest entities in the world, 150, over 150 are now companies. Mm. They're going to be the ones in a lot of ways shaping future behaviours, solving future challenges. How they behave is increasingly under the spotlight and as we know, it's not always as ethical as it might appear on the surface. But at the same time, if we can help people to understand that behavior change can be incited to help people become more happier, become healthier, support positive causes and make a difference in the world in a positive way, then that again is probably a why that runs throughout me that isn't always often heard but is a real driving factor in me getting back on a stage after the challenges that I've had and yeah. seeing that as a reason to stand there and speak with passion. This is this is like one of the reasons, I mean, it's part of my why, definitely a big part of my why of wanting to be on platforms is why the podcast is called Speaking of Influence, because I believe that we are influenced in so many secretive hidden ways in our lives that we don't even realise through conditioning as we grow up, through uh, certainly through media and, uh, and and many other ways as well, through our schooling, through our political systems, uh, even even class structures in society, mm. which is definitely still very much there. These are, these are all things that influence us and, and more, more that I haven't, haven't really got time to even go into all the different ways that we are influenced. And, and so I think one of the things that I feel is that when I discovered all this like hidden world of like influence and persuasion, that it became like a, an obsession for me, really, in a, <laughs> in a healthy way, I hope. But an obsession for me to think this is incredible. Like, all this stuff is here, and we've been. I can see in my own life where I've been influenced in these ways, and I can see how it's worked with others. And sometimes you, that is with 
you know, ethical influence. Sometimes it's for the benefit of other people, but sometimes it's for personal gain. Like most of us have been conned or ripped off and sometimes lives, and not even all of us realize it because we don't like to generally think that people would do that. Yeah. Uh, and But many of us do. And then we feel stupid for having trusted and, you know, creates all these sorts of issues. But if we understand the things, uh, the ways that we're being influenced, uh, there's at least a better chance that we might start to be able to protect ourselves a bit more, recognize, is this for my benefit or is this to to my detriment or is it for the greater benefit or is it the greater detriment? Is it just creating more division, more opposition, or is it actually um, unifying and, and somehow beneficial? These are things that I hope more people can have the uh, critical thinking skills and abilities to be able to to determine them and to discern what's actually good for them or good in general or not. Uh, without being educated in those things, it's very difficult. And so that's become a big part of my mission is why I talk about influence and persuasion so much and, uh, and why I think public speaking is, is so important because there are despite all the terrible things in the world, there are voices, signs, glimmers of hope all around us. And uh, you know, and people like, like yourself are these voices that we need to be able to tune into, hopefully, pull ourselves away from the attraction to, uh, to sensationalism and to hearing the sort of shocking things or the things that may be entertaining or very, very highly dramatic, but I think most people are kind of addicted to now that yeah. make it harder to sort of tune into those silent, calm, not so silent, but those calmer, more ra rational, reasoned voices that are actually saying the stuff like, if we really take it to a point of, do people generally want to be happy? I think for the most part, yes. Yeah. Do people generally know how to be happy? For the most part, no. And, and so we kind of sometimes mistake being entertained or distracted as the next best thing, as being happy. Whereas, you know, actually that takes a little bit of inner work. Uh, stuff that we don't necessarily like to do uh, and so hopefully we can be the voices out there that are <laughs> helping people to to find a bit more inner peace to find a bit more sense in life and uh, and a bit more caring for themselves and for other people so. yeah i love the way you articulated that john and yeah we we, we in our own little way are fighting against a seven trillion dollar attention economy that loves to drag people around because the more they drag them the more data they get and the more time they get on those particular platforms and the more money they make and yet in the bigger scheme of things like you say most people want to be happy and really if they can be if they can become, become increasingly self-aware of just how these hooks are being pulled on an everyday basis and why you know we've evolved over a long period but we're not different than we were 200,000 years ago but the world has changed very very rapidly yeah. in the past 50 years <laughs> you know we, we spend a lot of time in society considering what we feed ourselves our nutrition um whether we care about whether it's good or not is a different thing but we we do generally obsess about nutrition and what's good for you and what's not good for you in terms of what we eat and drink and rarely about what we actually consume mm -hmm. in our minds. Nice. Rarely do we actually spend the time thinking about uh, is what we're consuming actually beneficial for us? Is it good for us? Is it actually having a healthy effect? Or um, how does how do some what watching certain things leave you feeling? And um, you know, I, I see a good example of this would be, and uh, I have to be careful because they listen to sometimes listen to the show. But uh, but I know um, my my parents used to read the Daily Mail a lot. And uh, and it's not a favourite paper of mine. My dad as well. Uh, yeah, and uh, and I at some time managed to convince them to to stop buying it because of, because of some of the horrible things they were saying. Now I can't say for sure that it, this is because of this, but I can say that in the period since they stopped reading that stuff and uh, stopped watching that overly sensationalist news channel, 20, news, 24 hour news cycle on TV and stuff, um, that they have become happier, uh, maybe even kinder, um, you know, just just generally, uh, not necessarily nice people, they've always been nice people, but 
and they just seem their lives seem so much better from having actually quit that stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is this is how it's like. You know, I often will say to clients, you know, whether it's right wing or left wing media, it's generally best to try and uh, have a bit of a media fast and see how that affects your life, and and uh, have a bit of a Facebook fast, have a bit of a Twitter fast, which is definitely a challenge for me because I'm addicted to that. But uh, <laughs> but you know, taking a break from these things and actually to see how how do you feel having a break from that. You know, I know like when women go away on vacation, even just for a weekend, not watching like any TV or listening to any kind of media or even watching YouTube or anything like that for a, for a, a weekend or a week, I feel calmer. I yeah. feel more more centered. And I notice that. And I think we at least need to put ourselves in a position where we can start to notice what's really going on for us and then decide what we want to do. I'm not saying you have to get rid of this stuff. I'm just saying, at least try and get yourself a bit of distance from stuff to be able to decide, do I want to continue with that or do I actually want to make some changes and, and have a bit more of a happier, more enjoyable life experience? I think that's yeah. And I just think as we, as, we get, as we get towards the end, one thing I just want the listeners to imagine is that it wasn't that long ago that we were a little caveman or woman. We'd step out of our cave and there'd be a saber-toothed tiger on one side and a lovely flowering tree on the other. And any caveman that looked at the flowering tree and thought, oh, isn't that lovely? What a positive thing to see first thing in the morning was then happily eaten and didn't survive. So we do have a negative bias, you know, psychologically. And what that means is that negativity sticks to our brains like Velcro, whereas positivity slips off like Teflon. Because positivity used to get us killed on a regular basis when we were prayer. So what happens is, in all aspects, if you continue to consume that negativity, you effectively Velcro your brain all over with more and more Velcro until you can't actually see the positivity through the Velcro in your mind. It literally doesn't allow any positivity to stick. You become less grateful. Because positivity is something that we can train. We can train ourselves to be more grateful and have greater capacity and see more. But the problem is when we've got so much negativity stuck on our brain, we just see more negativity to get stuck to. And we're literally running around like we've got a whole Velcro suit on, running up against any Velcro wall of negativity that we can find. Yeah. All of a sudden, if you take yourself away from that, the Velcro starts to lose its stickiness a bit and starts to drop away. And then you've got some gaps for some positivity to fall into. And suddenly you start seeing the world that little bit differently. And it just shows, really, with our brains, it is garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, um, yeah, some, I, want, I want to come back to um, something in a minute. But um, sometimes I think we just need to take a bit of time to enjoy the quiet sometimes. Yeah, and um, and I was I forget what it was I was listening to recently, but uh, actually it might have been my chat again with uh, with Don Brosen talking about just taking a bit of time away to think. But one of the most important things we can do is actually just give ourselves a bit of time to think. I know it was a conversation I had recently, but uh, so I was saying that uh, one of the bits of advice that um, Barack Obama had given um, to to people who wanted to have greater success in lives and, and to um, people coming up in in the political party was to take time out of your day, like taking, I think he said something like taking an hour to just think about things. And uh, and uh, the more I do that in my own life, you, know, you, you push through this wall of boredom, first of all, that we don't often let ourselves yeah. get to because it's very easy to just pick up your phone or whatever and, and, and the boredom is gone uh, and replaced by all sorts of potential distractions. Pushing through that and just allowing yourself to go into just think about things, just be and let thoughts come up in your head and, and let that happen. Something that very few of us actually ever take the time to do. And yet actually uh, has immense value in our lives, immense value to just be able to think about things, to contemplate, to uh, uh, even then give yourself that bit of space away from negativity, away from everything, to be able to consider or contemplate life, thoughts, actions, events. Um, in your own head rather than uh, through the lenses of uh, media or through through the phone media that we have now and, and, and everything else. Just 
peace, quiet, and uh, and tranquility is is maybe the path to inner peace. Yeah, I do I'll, want to. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I almost feel that in, in in this world, boredom is looked down upon, and solitude is in short supply. But like anything, when it becomes scarce, it becomes increasingly valuable. Those who take the time to actually utilize that boredom and not continually stimulate and take inputs in all day, like in comparison to, you know, how we were 500 years ago, 500 years ago, we, we'd get, you know, inputs and stimulation. We get notifications from a courier. Now we get more inputs in a day than someone 500 years ago did in the whole lifetime. And we're not built for that. So if you are able to leverage your time when you remove the inputs and stimulation, when you actually decide, I'm going to be bored because boredom creates creativity and then have some solitude and you don't need to take yourself up onto a top of a hill somewhere to have solitude. You just need to be free of inputs and stimulation for long enough to drop back into your own agenda and your own self-awareness and just assess where are you going? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to become? Suddenly you can ask yourself some really powerful questions that anchor you into your path, into your journey. And that's how you generate fulfillment. And you're able to then reflect, not ruminate on what's happened in the past and see how you can use that to shape your future for the better. And I think for many people, I don't say not for everyone, but for many people this year has been an opportunity to reevaluate mm-hmm. and to think about what's really important in life. And I, I know at the time we're recording this that the UK is uh, potentially heading into another lockdown as, uh, as um, COVID cases are, are increasing, infections are increasing quite rapidly there. And again, it may be, you know, whilst there's many challenges with that, there are, there may well be many opportunities again for people to to take those moments if they haven't been reevaluating this stuff to to have a bit of time to to really think and have some peacefulness in their lives and and spend a bit of time not trying to distract themselves, but actually allowing themselves to be bored for a while, allowing their brains to start getting you know, creating the firing the creative synapses again and and firing all that stuff up for ourselves. And I hope people will find that. If uh, if we're okay for time, I, I would like to uh, get to something we should have got too much earlier, which is talking about what you're doing currently professionally. Yeah, so at Essentialized Workplace Wellbeing, we do workplace strategy and delivery uh, for SMEs. And that's kind of like really the bread and butter of what I do. So we look and go in and benchmark and baseline what's currently working within an organization and what's not. And then look to tailor it towards their employees' challenges and towards areas that have been highlighted as needing to be looked at in terms of well-being perspective. So that can be anything from sleep and nutrition all the way across to the organizational culture, to the consciousness and mindfulness of leadership, the capability and communication and management. But we go in and we, we re- ultimately do an assessment and an audit, getting quantitative and qualitative data together to really get clarity on where can we help you improve and that kind of more holistic way of looking at it, but with the measurements in place, helps us to look at areas where we can grow organically well-being within an organization, whether it be through champions, whether it be through communities, whether it be through certain programs that can be amplified there. Um, and really the, the, the big ethos is to get well-being as a priority that's sustainable, got a business case, so it continues to get funded and employees can continue to thrive, be respected and have appreciation for what they do and have some autonomy to grow as human beings and into the role that they do. And obviously it's a, it's a challenging time, uh, but I, you know, I've been delivering more stuff online, I've crafted digital programs, but I'm very much looking forward to a time when we can go out physically again and be in that room and foster that connection and help people to really start to understand each other. You've got to bring the human being to work with you. I've, I've worked with teams and they literally know each other on a professional level and that's it. You're not a team, you're a group. You don't even know what each other do outside of work. And, and teams are bound together by values that they can share, that they can put some of their personal value into the team's value and they can really align that. And that actually requires us to, 
you know, be human and lead, to learn ourselves. Because leaders, they should be leading themselves first. And by doing that, they give the transfer of authority for others to lead themselves to. And if they can do it congruently, consciously, mindfully, and actually just inbuild some care in there. Because ultimately, if you lead, you should love what you're doing. You should love the people you do it with. And you should love making a positive impact in the world in the way that you do. And that ultimately is leadership because learning to lead, learning to learning yourself. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, some of what I was getting from what you're saying then is like breaking down these uh, barriers of compartmentalism that we tend to do in our professional lives, like uh, business isn't supposed to be personal, you're supposed to lead your private life at home kind of thing. And yeah. you're saying, no, let's, let's break that down and let's be holistic people, you know, be, be our authentic selves and not have to just like, right, I put my, my work head on now and take uh, and leave your home head at home. Um, how do you start that process with, with organizations of breaking down those kinds of barriers and helping people to really connect on a deep level? Yeah, it actually starts with helping people to find a collective why. Because so often people have their reasons for what, why they do what they do. And ultimately, it's that why that then fuels the behaviors, it fuels the interactions. So we actually go and explore what people's values are. What are, the, what are the company's values, purpose, and mission? But is that just on a wall somewhere? Or is it lived through the decisions that are made? And we start to look what the communication's like. Because comically, communication is the foundation of well-being in an organization. And if people don't feel like the part, the, you know, they don't get to participate in the communication, they won't feel like they belong. Good luck trying to get them to eat more fruit from the fruit bowl. They don't feel like they belong there. And again, that communication, how does management communicate? How does leadership communicate where the organization's going? What they what you know, what, what they ultimately plan. This is a time when lots of people are having to work remotely. Communication has amplified in importance. And you have to ensure that not only do you facilitate that communication and you ensure people know where they stand, where the business is going, what the current challenges are, but that you actually care and communicate and check in and find out how they're doing and find ways to be creative with it. Because when you're not having those communication, you know, bouncing moments while making a brew, while at the water cooler, while passing each other in the corridor, people need some other kind of positivity resonance like that. So we've got to try and craft that virtually. And so I've been doing quite a lot around helping people get the home environments into a, you know, translating into a working environment by utilizing little psychological hacks like walking around the block to simulate a commute, how to schedule your day so you get breaks in and you can honor your bio rhythm so it's easy to switch off at night, looking at digital sunset where you get your work devices in a certain place at a certain time and that's it. Your chance to disconnect, plan something in the evening, get something done. And yeah, it's ended up with numerous different aspects to the work that I do, but really it all revolves around the fact that well-being is a driver of performance and that is underutilized here in the UK. Yeah. For, for you personally, what, what are some of your favorite aspects about what you do? Um, I, I would say, John, that my favorite aspect is taking a massive sledgehammer to the, to the, to the compartments and the silos within organizations because it's an interconnected body that's what a company is but so often i'm the one who has to go in externally and start knocking out some of these walls that have been put up and that's interesting for me because i'm like why is this here i'm the curious child who asks really awkward questions i am sometimes like a seven-year-old because i am willing to ask those questions i am willing to call out hypocrisy i am willing to keep asking why why and ultimately people don't generally get someone doing like that but I, I because i can go in and earn credibility and trust through the work that i do i can then suddenly nudge things internally and that again is influenced in a positive way but when you're in there you can gradually nudge that culture to be more influentially positive to be more inclusive to be more appreciative and for me, 
it's just helping to see teams suddenly bind together who've been so distant and apart, mm. helping organization where the culture is terrible. But all of a sudden, the leadership team just anchor into and understand that we've not been, you know, nurturing this like we should have. And all of a sudden, you get not only the financial buy-in, but the buy-in of the hearts of the leadership. And they then make a change. And it's not you that's making the change, it's them. And I suppose that's the most beautiful because you can go in and empower people to change the companies for the better. You can help them enable it. And then you can help them make it sustainable. And if anything, that change is the most fulfilling part of the job for me. Yeah, powerful transformational stuff. I like it. And uh, th- this whole whole conversation today has been a, it's been a joy. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. And uh, and what you do professionally is really interesting. And you know, clearly, a very uh, a very thoughtful and uh, an empathic person. And uh, it's it's been a, it's been a real joy. Let me ask, uh, there may be people watching or listening who would like to find out a bit more about you and get in touch with you. What's going to be the best way for them to do that? Um, the best way to do that would be to go to either of my websites. So that is essentialize.co.uk or leechambers.org. And on both those websites, you'll find my blogs, my services and links to any social channels that I have. Great. And you do some speaking at schools and things like that, right? So you, do you like Yeah. To- so I do speaking at schools. I've done a few summits and events um, and I've got quite a range of topics that I'm happy to speak with authenticity and depth on and I'm happy to discuss those further. Great. So you don't mind being invited to come and speak at some events and organisations. Good stuff. I often like to ask guests, particularly when we talk about things like speaking and, and business and depending depending on the kind of topics we're on, but um, if someone came to you and said, uh, you know what, what what's, what's a book that I should read? What's a book that you would recommend? Is there a book that you love to give people and say, this is a book that everybody should read or if no people want to do this, this is absolutely the, the book or the resource for you? What would it be for you? Yeah, so I think we touched upon it earlier. Uh, I really do appreciate Carol Dweck and Mindset. That was a big change for me. But I think the one that amplifies that and the one that I definitely suggest to people is Grit by Angela Duckworth. And that just looks at people's talent and how effort counts twice and how you've got to amplify your talent and then amplify the skills that you created from the talent to really become and achieve. And that's what we should be looking to do when we're looking to, you know, go out into the world and, we've got talents for a reason to utilize. And even if you don't have bucketfuls of talent, you can still become amazing. It just requires a little bit more effort, but that book highlights just the difference between those that think that they're good at something and don't really push on. And those that realize that they have talent, see that as a positive and then push on and utilize that talent further and continue to cultivate it until it becomes something that is much, much more than just a talent. Great. I'm definitely going to be adding that to my to my own reading list. It's not one I've read yet, but uh, I will look forward to that. Is there a message that you personally would like to leave the audience with today? Yeah. I mean, it's an incredibly challenging time we face ourselves in. And we, 2020 has been one of those years that we'll never forget. But you have adapted and acclimatized in the middle of a crisis that like we haven't seen for many, many years. So really, I want you to pat yourself on the back and realize just how resilient human beings can be in crisis and just how innovative and creative we become. And maybe just take that and leverage that because at the moment, we're very much in a winter but it won't be long before spring comes again. And spring's an amazing time if you've built a platform in winter and kept yourself warm, looked after yourself and shown yourself a bit of compassion, that spring will come along and it's the perfect time to start growing new skills and really pushing forward in life. I think that's a great message to wrap things up on today. Lee, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. I've really enjoyed the conversation and we've covered really quite a diverse range of things, but I think it's all been very informative, empowering and, uh, and positive. And so I thank you for that. Thank you for your time today. And I hope that people will come and check you out more. And uh, I encourage people to come and get you to come and speak at their events. You have a, a lot of great things to say. So 
Thank you, Lee Chambers, for being my guest today. Thank you, John. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to like and subscribe and leave a review. I'll give you a name drop on the show if you do. Whilst you're here, go get yourself a free download of my new ebook, The Five Key Beliefs of Bulletproof Business Speakers, available from my website, presentinfluence.com. Next week on the show, you will be able to catch the amazingly funny and very enjoyable Dia Klein. What can I tell you about Dia? I had so much fun chatting with her. She's a great speaker and a really funny lady. You're going to love the show. We had a lot of fun recording together and you're going to really enjoy listening to it as well. I'm getting ready to launch my new show, Points of Change. Some of the live shows are already going out, so do keep an eye out. Points of Change is going to be much more about coaching, life transformation points, and the people who are helping other people to turn their lives around in some way, shape, or form. If you'd like to know more about presentation skills, specifically online and utilizing the tools of influence and persuasion, join me weekdays daily for the Daily Present. You can find me live on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. I'll see you next week.